Greetings and welcome to another episode of Redeeming Disorder. Welcome to an interview with someone who might be familiar to you, maybe not as familiar as the people you're with this weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday. I hope you're nursing your food coma effectively and you're doing as well as can possibly be this weekend, whether you're with people you love or with some friends or with people you hate or with people you love and hate. Whatever it is, I hope that this podcast can either be a continuation of the good times or a reprieve from the times and a chance for you to hear yet another vulnerable story, this time with someone who is near and dear to the heart of me and of this podcast and someone who was there at the very beginning. So Laura Bochansky is our guest today. And that name is familiar to those of you who have been here since the beginning and know that in the first 19 episodes of this podcast, in the first two seasons of this podcast, I had a co-host. Her name was Laura. She had a great podcasting voice. She had a great perspective on mental health, and she had a compelling story of her own. And so even though Laura and I definitely shared things about our journeys and our mental health along the way as we talked to guests... We didn't really talk about our stories personally, chronologically, or in any you know long, drawn-out, coherent manner other than in the first episode. So if you haven't listened to the first episode of Redeeming Disorder, Introducing Redeeming Disorder, you could listen to that to get a little more background on Laura. We talk about some of her experiences that formed her mental health struggles, uh, especially a traumatic brain injury she had that affected not only her brain health in a physical sense, but her brain health in the conventional mental health sense as well as she dealt with issues of validation and the depression that came after the injury, especially as she noticed all of these areas in which she used to strive for value and look for love were now filled with many more obstacles based on the way in which her mind slowed down and she had trouble doing things for a while. So that was obviously a huge struggle, but any person has innumerable struggles, and there's much more to Laura's story than just the traumatic brain injury. So in this conversation, I tried to get into the things that we didn't get into before and that I hadn't even heard fully myself. This was in 2018 that we talked and went into some of her early childhood pains, pain around being put in a box, especially around gender, being told who she needs to be as a girl, how she needs to dress, how she needs to act. And certainly a part of that is her evangelical Christian upbringing. So early on in the podcast, we actually get into some of her issues with those early years and with the messages she received from the community she was in, uh, whether they intended it or not. Whether it's something as aggressive and uncomfortable as being given a list of what she can and can't wear so that she can be a good Christian girl, or whether it's something innocuous and uh, unintendedly harmful, like simply falling as a middle child in the family tree and having to deal with changes in how attention is shared. Laura is willing to go into all of it, both what she can now see was just unfortunate and what she can now see was something that could have been handled better and that she would strive to handle better in her own life. She gets into identity, both in terms of the identities that mental health and mental disorder diagnoses can create, similar to the stuff Lindsay Bebo talked about in episode 24, but also the forms of identity that come with a human upbringing into a social fabric, into structures of religion and community and family, and into all of our cultural paradigms. So these cultural paradigms, the messages that we infer from our culture, whether it's the small culture around us of the family or the large culture around us of society or school or media, media especially with how much media we are ingesting these days. So there is this study in 2005, 15 years ago, this paper is called Monkey's Pay-Per-View, Adaptive Valuation of Social Images by Rhesus Macaques. And essentially what the study is, is taking a bunch of monkeys and giving them a liquid currency, so like an enjoyable food in liquid form that they can trade with each other as currency, and then seeing how much they will pay for images of different monkeys in the social structure. And what these researchers found in this study is that consistently across the board for all of the monkeys, they would pay more for pictures of higher status monkeys 
In particular, male rhesus macaques sacrificed fluid for the opportunity to view female perinia and the faces of high-status females. And not only would the monkeys not pay as much to look at pictures of lower-status monkeys, but they actually wouldn't pay, and you actually had to pay them in order to get them to look. So these were robust findings found across the board, and it makes sense. In primate societies, according to the paper, kinship, dominance, and reproductive status regulate social interactions. So what happens when our social fabric is decimated by a pandemic, we're all extremely isolated, our social life becomes supplanted by social media and by online interactions, our emotional brain is inferring that we have something to gain by looking and looking and looking at all of this stuff from all these other people. And it's not just people and pictures of them. It might be information. It might be YouTube videos. It might be any number of things in the overstimulating world of things of the internet. So for Laura, whom we're about to talk with, that means being off social media entirely. It means the same for me. I'm off of social media. But I am certainly not an extremist who thinks everyone needs to be off social media. I just think everyone needs to be very conscious about the relationship they have with it, with media in general, with everything they're taking into their heart and their soul and their being, which is a lot more than just food. So there's some food for thought, stepping off the soapbox, and very happily bringing you an interview with the fellow podcaster who started this wild adventure of Redeeming Disorder with me and is coming back into it to share her story, her struggles, her perspectives in a fuller depth. I hope you enjoy them. And here I am with Laura Bochansky. We've talked so many times. How does it feel to be uh, on that side, to be like the interviewer? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so far, I've had a lot of like job interviews lately, so yeah. I feel like I... I kind of like, oh, yeah, this is comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I, I feel like it was fun to like do the podcast and reflect on interviewing and the art of it yeah. and stuff because uh, it made me feel like, you know, I want to be more present and uh, and less just like obsessed with getting to all the questions and I getting agree. the narrative and everything. I know. I think it's better to just let the conversation flow freely. Yeah. When I listen to NPR, that's what I pay attention to, yeah, yeah. too, as well. I feel like a good podcast trying to do that, too. But um, mm -hmm. as far as hearing your story and talking, like, obviously, we've already heard a good bit of it. So what I'd love to do in this interview is talk about those things we haven't gotten to in as much depth so that we can kind of fill in the gaps that can, you know, as a whole, tell a story of, you know, a person and yeah. what she's dealt with throughout a lifetime. Cool. Um where you know we've talked about your traumatic brain injury mm -hmm. and talked about some of the issues of self-image, um, mm -hmm. but I feel as if we haven't uh, we haven't linked everything necessarily, and there are still some things that I'm curious about. Yeah. So if you're if you're comfortable, I'd love to start as uh, as early as you're up for saying kind of when you first noticed any kind of issue with with like how you viewed yourself, and I know you talked about needing to strive toward an image and yeah. needing to both an image as far as appearances and also accomplishments and what you were driven to do as a kid. And so I'm just curious, uh, I'm always curious about like the development of something like that. And mm -hmm. do you have like a first memory of? Yeah, I think like all humans, like we just really wanna be loved. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we misunderstand what love is and, and I think a lot of times we think we have to achieve or be a certain way in, in order to, to get that. Yeah. And I think for me, like, I think that it was a big deal when I was six years old, my brother was born. Mm -hmm. I have two older sisters. And so it was like three girls and a boy. So of course it was a big deal to have a boy. Right, but I right. think like at that age, I just didn't understand. And so I think I was really hurt by people being so excited for there being a boy. Mm. And I was like, well, what's wrong As a with girl, being a girl, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I was yeah. like the baby. And so, and I think that that probably, that really affected me. And I remember my mom saying, she's like, I was kind of worried about you. You just seem like really yeah. sad. And I, I love my brother, <laughs> so, but I just, I do remember when we found out it was a boy just being like, oh no. Like I'm not yeah. special anymore. That is an early memory. And you said, yeah. and you, you mentioned being the baby because not yeah. only was it like the specialness of being a boy, but also I guess that role was totally usurped. Became a middle child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, not as cool. But yeah, 
So I, I think that definitely like affected me and mm -hmm. just made me like want to prove like I'm just as good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like that kind of started to gender whatever was happening where it connected uh, gender in your head to the, the issue of like wanting to be enough almost? Yeah, yeah, I would say like I'm very still very sensitive. A, f a good friend of mine, I don't think he meant anything by it, but he's like, girls are, he was a girls basketball coach. And he's yeah. Like, I just, he's like, I don't think girls are like just get basketball in the same way like as when I coached boys mm -hmm. at a certain age. And I, I was like, really, I had to like watch my, like, okay, he probably didn't mean it the way I think he meant it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm very sensitive to that because I, I, I just think like girls, are just as wonderful and I think sometimes I feel like certain society pockets just decide to say well girls are this way and I'm yeah like, no we're not yeah. <laughs> and I think it's the yeah. same thing with boys but since I'm a girl yeah you know. well and I think a lot of girls and women like share your your pain yeah. and, and deal with that too of being you know boxed in right and nobody likes being boxed in <laughs> yeah yeah I didn't know you were gonna go that young actually that's like quite an early memory yeah, sense. I've been to counseling. <laughs> <laughs> working, work through things. But I think it's insightful too what you said about how you can connect that to things in your life and how like those first pains can be linked to your sensitivities. Yeah. Later, for um, sure. And I say sensitivities not in like a way of uh, of like oh you know this is a reaction of yours like you, they can be perceptive sensitivities mm -hmm. like seeing things that other people might not exactly see, yeah that you're like attuned to. The things relating to that pain yeah i grew up like playing softball too so yeah. like i understand girls who feel like too masculine because mm -hmm. i felt that way and mm -hmm. been told i'm that way yeah and so yeah i think whatever you've been through where you're told like oh well you don't fit the mold like you're just sensitive to that and yeah. maybe have more compassion and awareness <laughs> right right was it especially hard for you with your background and environment maybe family where those qualities were especially discouraged for you being a girl? Yeah, I think my biggest, like I'm still Christian and actively involved in my church and stuff, but yeah, my biggest criticism of evangelical faith or Christianity in general is I think leadership fails to see the value of women who aren't quiet and submissive. Mm -hmm. I think women can be strong leaders and have so much to offer that's more than being moms and wives and yeah. in the background. So yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just in society in general, I think mm -hmm. uh, like the masculine and feminine energies can yeah. complement each other and it would totally. be a mistake to lean totally. just into one. Yeah, and I think we both have, I mean, I think men and women have both have masculine and feminine energies. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that, like, mm -hmm. how you're how you're born doesn't dictate, like, you know, you need to be this way or that way. Right. You can be anywhere on the spectrum. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, that's early stuff you're dealing with. And then what we've talked about in the past is dealing with self-image, dealing with some body challenges and dealing with uh, challenges that you need to be excellent in certain ways mm -hmm. that you need to strive toward goals. Um, yeah. Do you feel like one of those came first, I guess? Do you feel like you started feeling the pain of one of those first? Yeah, I think, I think just developmentally, like it hits girls like image in, ter in terms of image it hits like yeah. around puberty obviously yeah but um so yeah i was like really good at sports from early on so i was definitely more like achievement oriented in that way and then i think probably when i hit puberty it was like oh wait where's my value now because all of a sudden like i'm very aware that like the way i look is very important to people mm -hmm. so right yeah. So it's like you sense your value being placed in certain categories by others. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was the first, like you remember that coming, feeling pressured to accept like, oh, my value is in X, Y, and Z when maybe you would say, hey, you know, I want it to be in A, B, and C. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know, isn't that like, I think that's everybody's journey is like trying to figure out where where you are in the world, what, what makes you different, what makes mm -hmm. you you. And mm -hmm. I think that's just part of like, understanding your place and who you are <laughs> yeah no that makes sense yeah did the did any of your motivation get fueled by that difficulty by like uh feeling those pressures did that make you want to be great at stuff more did that make you like fuel you in softball or in school oh yeah i <laughs> i mean 
I'm totally not like fully of like a victim of like, you know, all these things. Like I'm very prideful and I want to be the best. <laughs> I'm very competitive and I think that can be a good thing, but there's a weak side to that where, you know, you, you're very egotistical and, um, I, I mean, I remember even in high school, a good friend saying like, or you always want to be like the point guard or the pitcher or like the main, you know, and mm -hmm. it was true. Like I wanted to stand out and be amazing. And so it's not that great. <laughs> it's not bad. And, I feel like the first thing you said, like we all basically want the same thing. We want to be happy and we want to be loved. Yeah. And everything we do is kind of just our ways of going about mm -hmm. that. Totally. So. Avoiding pain, trying to see. Yeah. yeah. Like even, even, you know, noble things, I think you could mm. probably interpret in a one lens or the other. You could see yeah. the selfish side or the compassionate side. And so exactly. I wouldn't be too hard on yourself for there being a selfish side to things. I think right. there always is. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, you know, if, if I'm not missing anything in childhood and as that developed, we already talked about your brain injury, so I feel as if uh, a way to thread this through is uh, to talk about how the brain injury kind of impacted that stuff that you were already dealing with, and you know the aftermath. Mm -hmm. We talked about the the incident and the you know your fall, um, yeah. striking your head, and some of the aftermath. But you know when we pick it up after the brain injury one thing I'm really curious about is like this issue of validation and of mm -hmm. sharing pain because you know you already had your own struggles that did you have like a someone you feel like was validating you or you could confide in growing up with with that stuff no I I mean that and I don't mean that as in like anybody like there, there were villains in my life I couldn't yeah trust, you know right. I just at that age I just didn't I wasn't willing to be vulnerable like right. in that way. Right. I think one thing that I did growing up that I'm, I still do to this day that was so good is I journaled a lot and I like talked to God, mm -hmm. you know, through, yeah. through those journals. And I think that that was where I felt validated and that was like my, my safe place and, and it still is. Mm -hmm. So, but the, I don't think I really talked about how I felt or anything like that. Right. Um, and that's one good thing that came out of the brain injury is I had to develop those skills. <laughs> it's yeah. either sink or swim. Sink or swim. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was like a hard situation. One thing I distinctly remember you talking about, you did talk about having God as that confidant. Of, yeah. I, I remember you saying you would go on long walks, you would cry and imagine God holding your hand. Um, yeah. But then on the issue of like other people and where you're in this situation where you have to either sink or swim with sharing things with others. It seems like that pattern of of not necessarily sharing with others started to continue after the brain injury where... Yeah, yeah. And I think that part of that is part of, again, the my criticism of like the Christian community mm -hmm. is that I think that there is a pressure to put on a face of like, I, you know, I'm... Uh, perfect or like I am going through something hard, but I'm dealing with it in the most perfect way possible to always add <laughs> Yeah, a and, um, thing. and I think at this point in my life I I'm very aware of like people do not deal with trauma well mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be able to have grace for that You need to be able to make a ton of mistakes because that's just who we are and I think it's so much healthier to just um, have people you can trust be like, Hey, I'm a big screw up in this area, but you still love me. And that's awesome. <laughs> you know, like that's okay. Yeah. So like I when I mess up audio for podcasts, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're still friends <laughs> Yeah, and I yeah. appreciate it. So talking about like that journey to get to that place, I remember you, you talked about after the brain injury, you would kind of hide things that you might like stumble and fall and just laugh mm -hmm. it off and make a joke about it. You're really good at joking. Yeah. When was the first time you feel like you confided in someone or just like showed them that pain? Hmm. That's a really good question. I, this is very random, but I, hmm. I just, I had gone through a really tough two years in college. And so like between my Junior and senior year, I went to, I, I took some classes at this place called Honey Rock. It was like okay. uh, an outdoor place and you could take classes. It was affiliated with my college. Okay, cool. Um, and 
I just had a really rough time, but I, it was just really cool. I was, um, the people that were there, they were just very accepting and very chill. And it was kind of outside of like the community. I would say like I, I had, I tend to surround myself with very, uh, high performing <laughs> driven people. Yeah. And, um, and you went to a competitive you yeah. know, college where a lot of people exactly. Were that way. And that's just kind of like all I knew. So it's very hard to be vulnerable with people like that, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so I was at this camp, people were just very, I'd say more artistic and more accepting of being different. And I feel like that was the first time where. I was validated for something other than achievement. Like, like people found me mm. really funny and interesting, and and I could be just someone different than the person who was really good at all these other things. Like, people saw beyond what I usually put out, and it was like, oh, Laura's cool, and it was just like because of me. It mm -hmm. wasn't because of anything else. Yeah, I didn't feel like I wasn't performing, and it was just like a very I think that was like the start of maybe kind of changing and seeking out different <laughs> groups yeah. of people. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it sounds like environment played a big role that, I mean, I knew yeah. culturally it, it played a big role, but it sounds like just within like friend circles, yeah. it played a big role, which we, is, I don't think is something we really talked about. Yeah. I think now at this point in my life, I know what environments are not healthy for me to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it doesn't mean that that environment's horrible for other people, right. but for me, like I know I do not do well in a very strict um, environment where appearance or achievement is everything. Mm -hmm. I just, I stay away from that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 That makes total sense. Do you, were you, uh, what were things like with your roommate, uh, Jamie? Oh were yeah. You, Cause she helped you a lot. She you? was amazing. Yeah, I think um, Janie has a very unique quality in that she knows how to just sit with someone mm -hmm. and in a very non-judgmental way. And I think at that point in my life, I just really needed that. Like yeah. there, I knew there were so many people being so judgmental because I just wasn't <laughs> doing great. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to have a friend who was just like, yeah, you're a... You're struggling, but I'm here and it's cool. Let's go get Jamba. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, I'm really glad that you had her. I mean, that, uh, yeah. you know, you said uh, you've just come to learn that sometimes there are things that are really hard that people uh, have a hard time dealing with. And did you feel like the, the biggest thing was just her like, accepting that from you? Yeah. Um, not like trying to fix it? Yes. I think that's a, I think when somebody tries to fix things, it, Oftentimes they might think that they're trying to help, but it's more that they're uncomfortable with you being a mess. Mm. And and I think, and then that makes the person who's a mess <laughs> just feel like they are being totally judged and it's not safe for them to be authentic. And so I, I think it's amazing when there is space for people to be a mess and yeah. to be honest about it. Yeah. So. So maybe that's interesting. Like you, when the way when you say it that way, which I agree with, it's like it's not as selfless as you might imagine. Like mm -hmm. trying to fix someone's problem, it's almost like they they want their world to be one where you exactly. are like fixed, rather than like a you know just a selfless concern for you. I think, and I think that's some, another criticism I have of like the Christian community I was brought up in is that you know what is said and like well speaking truth and love is actually like not very loving mm -hmm. because sometimes people just have to go through hard things they have to make mistakes and you just have to be there for them you just have to walk with them through that so. yeah yeah i mean and I, I think it's pretty remarkable that you despite those experiences with faith that you uh have faith today and that you find value in you know going to a church and christian <laughs> community just yeah in a different, you know in a different way obviously yeah, no, I, I think that it's really important to distinguish people from God because yeah, <laughs> I don't think, yeah. I think that people try their best to emulate who God is, but mm -hmm. I think they fail all the time. Yeah. And I think in uh, like the Christian community, I think people, they really do do their best. And just like anybody outside of the Christian community, they're really doing their best. If I had been brought up in a different type of community, 
I think I would have still had the same experience, similar experiences where people just failing mm -hmm. to be, you know, what I needed or whatever. But I just have yeah. been to be in this. And it's just a huge blind spot of that community, I think. Yeah. Well, I feel like it goes deeper and it's bigger. Like yeah. It's, a, it's, it's like a pattern through humanity, like what you're talking totally. about with with accepting one's own flaws and that yes. struggle to, to see imperfections, I think is like yeah. humanity wide and transcends religions too, where like I'm interested totally. in Buddhism and people yes. talk about like, we've spent 2,500 years trying to reconcile like the teachings of the Buddha with Buddhists yeah. who are like talking about others, like, yeah. who are, you know, often at odds. And it's mm -hmm. like, it seems even in the development of a religion, it can get more and more at odds where mm -hmm. <laughs> who knows if like the average modern day Christian would be much like, Jesus. Right. Probably not. Right. I know we think we strive to for an ideal, which is, is wonderful. I don't think mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with it. But then I think along the way we develop these giant blind spots and, you know, just weird habits and community rules that like actually aren't part of that ideal, but we just fail yeah. to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like I'm impressed by you that you can see it through a sympathetic might not be the right word a compassionate lens where you say they're doing their best where you say they're trying to be happy you know i think yeah. a lot of people with your experience might not have that view might kind well, of uh <laughs> again i've been through counseling <laughs> that was not i think i spent a long time really bitter and yeah and angry and um I, and I think like the harder you are on other people, the more sh you're, you're actually very hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the only way to move on from trauma is to be like, well, I really did my best. It wasn't perfect. I know I, like, I know I hurt a lot of people when I had my brain injury and, and I have to just be like, I did my best. And I hopefully, hopefully they're okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Which, which came first, like forgiving yourself or forgiving others? I think myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it has to start there. I don't. Yeah. I think we try. I've tried so hard. I'm like, I'm going to forgive. <laughs> and I just don't. I don't know. I just think it's really hard. And I, you know, again, like in my faith, I believe part of forgiving yourself is accepting that God has forgiven you, mm -hmm. which is, I think, one of the hardest things is to really believe that you're forgiven. And accepting that and like okay because I think uh, it's natural to be like well no I'm gonna earn it back or I'm gonna like yeah, do something yeah. great and cancel out all those other stuff that doesn't right. really work that way yeah that's hard especially I mean that must have been hard for you especially where you know your like challenge seems to have been very centered around that idea of like I get love with my actions like I earn love I, I earn my my worth and, yeah and so to accept that stuff more unconditionally like from God I imagine was hard yeah yeah I think so um especially like the brain injury like I felt like I was totally stripped of everything that made me like great <laughs> right <laughs> so that was hard to be like okay well, let's talk um, about that because when I hear your story I see you know at a young age maybe like anyone but maybe to a greater degree like you were a lot of pressures were put on you and you were told uh, what's valuable and what's not and, and given this feeling of like you have to earn value which mm. from one angle from the angle of the church telling you what you can and can't wear giving a list to all girls of you know how they need to make sure men don't stumble and mm -hmm. um, telling them their value is in their beauty that's something you have like limited control over and I imagine it would be really hard where like if I'm told my value is in my intelligence or what I accomplish, right. which I think probably for a lot of guys that that is the case. Um, mm -hmm. One advantage I think is that's something you can like work on a lot. Right. But to be told like your values and your beauty, you can't really. I mean, you can control you that a little what you're bit. <laughs> yeah. But you have limited control, and yeah. do you feel like the the things that you did have control over, the striving to be excellent in athletics and in yeah. academics and all of that and was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you feel like that was like a way of of coping where it's like let me kill it in these things I have control over if if I have to earn love and work yeah me. or like proving yourself I think more than mm -hmm. coping it's just like okay well I'll prove myself here totally yeah mm -hmm. so then when I hear your story and I hear the brain injury 
stripping you of that stuff. It's almost like you had this, this wound and you were able to prove yourself in all these ways and it, you know, it made you feel better. Mm -hmm. It made you like, that's how you got by for so long. And then all of that stuff was gone and you had to like, look at the wound. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So that, no, maybe that's, that's like, like wrong. No, that's but. like, like you said that beautifully actually. Yeah, I think so. And also I think like what a lot of people are unaware of with brain injuries or any kind of like life altering injury, it's so, it just so changes the way you think of yourself and the way um, other people see you and all of that. There's a lot of suicide. And, and I would, I would say like, I, un I have huge compassion for that because I understand just feeling like, what's the point? Like I, everything is, is gone. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I, I'm in a way I'm very grateful. It was rough, but I'm very grateful for that happening. Cause I think I was forced to grow, uh, find a way <laughs> to grow, you know, mm. um, it was really a sink or swim situation. Yeah. Like you had to, it like forced you to find that acceptance. It forced you to, which I guess was swimming in the yeah. situation. Yeah. I remember you texted me one time, like whenever something I was, something hard was happening in my life and you texted me like, uh, whenever like something has happened to me that's been really rough that I hated, like I have come to see silver linings in it in retrospect mm -hmm. and, yeah. and lessons in it. Not to like put this pressure on the whole thing of like, oh, let's say something good about it, which is mm -hmm. kind of what you were what was giving you a hard time, but at least to be able to like learn from it. Yeah. I think it's really important for people. Like, I really don't believe that everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. I think like crap happens and it can be really, really crappy. And sometimes that's it. <laughs> but I think, I think that one of the beautiful things about humans is that, or just, I don't know, just life is that beautiful things can happen out of really shitty stuff yeah yeah and um and so but i hate i hate when people say everything happens for a reason because i'm like no it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like i kind of believe it does um, really i just think it's Sorry. funny that we no no i i'm not like uh i'm ha i don't mind mm -hmm. disagreement i think it's funny that i like have that perspective and you I know, you think not, it'd be that it, yeah, when oh, yeah. you're when you're a Christian and I'm not a Christian, I know. but I mean, also the way in which I see it isn't maybe as moralizing as right. the way in which a lot of people say it. Yeah. Like I, I don't necessarily see it as like, oh, you know, it's it's meant to be. Like, let me just give up uh, all like control right. and, and accept my fate. This is what's meant to be. I, I think mm -hmm. you absolutely, you know, there's value in like fighting for what you want and dealing with a situation. Yeah. Skillfully. I just think like more from a deterministic point of view, you know, you, you think you have this um, so much choice in your life, but mm -hmm. really like all of your wants and all of your complexes and all this stuff was affected by environment and all these other stimuli yeah. at some point. And so there's a sense where you, you obviously we, we feel like we have free will, but also it's like if you if you think about everything is, you know, molecules and just building blocks of all these mm -hmm. reactions happening with everything being interconnected. It's like we're along for a ride. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, no, I, it might not be just like one or the other either. I um, think you're, I actually really, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that it is when I look back on my life, it is incredibly amazing. And I, I attribute it to God's work, but, but I, like how all these random little pieces, mm -hmm. you know, just like somehow come together and then like form this beautiful thing. It, it is, it is eerie and, and weird in a sense. And mm -hmm. you, so you, you do know. attribute it to, to God's work. Um, I, well, okay. I guess I should say that I don't think God caused my accident mm -hmm. and I don't think that it was in his, that he had a plan that I was going through a really, going to go through a really hard time. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that God causes pain. I don't think, I think humans cause pain. Mm. So in that respect, I don't think it's like everything happens for a reason. I think that accidents happen. I think tragedies happen. And then, um, I think God is really merciful and is like, you know what? I'm going to use that piece and mm. bring something beautiful. I think, he, I think that he redeems things. So you think like so. the meaning or the reason can be created from something that maybe didn't happen because of a reason or for a reason. 
Oh, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get my head around what, yeah, what you yeah. think. Um, that you, it sounded like you think there's not necessarily like a reason why everything happens in the first place, but then there can be reason that is made out of it, out of the ashes. Yeah, meaning it can come out of the ashes, absolutely. Like I, like for instance, with the the whole brain injury and, and, and everything, like mm -hmm. I'm very, I think something that has come out of that is I'm very compassionate for people who um, who fall like hard <laughs> and and who make huge mistakes yeah um, I, I'm just like dude I'm here with you I get you right you're you can come here and be safe right. and I will not judge you and I you know like that like I hope that I can offer that to the world but um, which is what you needed yeah I yeah and I and I think that like in for you doing this project there's a reason you're doing this project you mm -hmm. know and so it's I think that's the redemptive part of like human suffering and the the, the difficult things we go through yeah I mean uh, I just uh, that really uh, makes sense to me that you would feel that way with you went through this thing that was that was really hard and you were so low but then in the aftermath you weren't always validated or you weren't mm -hmm. always treated like such a thing happened because yeah it wasn't always readily apparent like uh, the people in the hospital obviously were, yeah. were validating you but right. then maybe professors weren't maybe people who who didn't yeah. see it firsthand weren't like yeah. we're very obsessed with like the physical and the objective and the tangible totally and we we want to see you know the hard evidence that you deserve our <laughs> our compassion yeah when, I know I, I feel very passionate I'm so glad you said that because I, I feel very passionate about this one of the biggest things I kept hearing is like oh Laura like when will you stop talking about this like mm -hmm. you just want attention mm -hmm. And I, I think that's like horrible to say. Yeah. Cause yeah, maybe maybe somebody needs they're they're dealing with it, so they have to keep. I think that's part of healing from trauma is you right. have to keep talking about right. it and you have to keep making sense of it. And the more you talk about it, and the more you know, new brain pathways are made as you put more like uh, meaning to it and understanding the different parts. That's how you heal. So I'm very. I get very frustrated with people when they're like, oh, she just needs attention. And I'm like, yeah, she does. Yeah, and that's like, a, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it's not just a selfish thing. It's actually a compassionate thing and yeah. being self-compassionate. Like, right. that's, as you said, yeah. Yeah. You heal by getting that from other people. Yeah, and I think something that I've had to learn, because I think the brain injury, like, it's taken a long time for my brain to actually heal. Like I'm a different person than I was five years ago. Like my yeah. brain is doing great. Right. But yeah, I, you were killing it in uh, our <laughs> mental games the other day, our board yeah. games. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, but it that took a long. It was a long process to for the, my brain to heal, for like the trauma to heal, and so I think we need to give people more grace and compassion and patience. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and I feel, I've always said, like, um, with the whole mental disorder issue, like, a lot of people see the trend of, you know, way more people saying they have mental disorder, and they say, you know, what's up, because it's, there haven't been, uh, we're guessing there haven't been huge biological changes mm -hmm. to the brain in the last few decades. Mm -hmm. Sure, these things are, like, being talked about more, but ha is there really, like, an epidemic? And mm -hmm. I've always thought, you know, I don't know what's going on, like, in people's brains or endogenously or what the hard evidence would say but i think you know so many people saying they're struggling is a sign of an issue yeah let's listen <laughs> and i'm not even focused on like blame or saying totally. saying uh oh it's you know society or it's it's like their fault i'm more just you know there is an issue how do we yeah how do we figure it out I completely, like, if somebody says there's a problem, listen to them. There's a problem. Yeah. Like, right. we don't need to be like, well, is there a problem? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> we might question, you know, what exactly the problem yes. is or entails. But, totally. But yeah, if, you know, there's something wrong and there's always that compassion to be yeah. found for someone. I yeah. Think. So in this aftermath where you're not always getting that compassion, where, you know, you, you move from something really physical and that's kind of what I think is interesting about what happened to you is it's mental disorder in a sense but it's also physical disorder like something physically yeah. happened to your you know mental structures right and it kind of shatters the notion that we can really separate the two 
And yeah. I think it's interesting that, you know, at some point you stopped getting, or people started saying, you know, oh, Laura wants attention and, mm -hmm. and not being as compassionate. Did you feel like the turning point was just when people stopped seeing it or was it like an amount of time? Hmm. You know what's really funny? I last night I was with some friends and uh, they asked they asked me the same thing. They were like, "When did you feel like you moved on?" Or mm. like, you know, when was the training? I'm like, last year, <laughs> <laughs> which was like ten years from when I had the incident. And I I do think mind body is so related. So I had like a traumatic brain injury, so there was trauma on my brain. Mm -hmm. But I think there was like a huge emotional trauma too and I think they go hand in hand often and I think that for me and what I'm learning is that the more you can talk through things so like doing the podcast together I was like forced to talk about all that stuff and then I went to counseling and I was like oh my gosh like there's so much to <laughs> work through here I had no idea and I think for me I didn't even realize that this used to happen but I was very insecure about not appearing smart enough or not being um, just like uh, good at like hand-eye coordination type stuff. Um, and I think over the past year, like I just don't even think about it anymore. And that to me is a huge sign of healing. It's like where it's not even an issue. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, that, that was really hard. I can recognize like that was so difficult, but it's not like this fresh, like, you know, pain where, where I'm, I'm still so like working through it. Like, I feel like I'm, I worked through it and, and I feel my, like I recognize that like my brain is okay. I'm able to play volleyball. I'm not afraid of getting injured and you know, I'm able to hang with you in taboo. <laughs> <laughs> Beat me in taboo. Yeah. That's funny because I think that like that's an insecurity of mine is like yeah. looking dumb. Um, yeah. And it makes sense like where if you place your value in something, you then feel like a protectiveness around yeah. it. Yeah. And totally. uh, I, I feel at least glad that I noticed that now. And maybe I'm like a few steps behind you on that journey where I think it's amazing <laughs> that uh, you not only notice it, but like see it for don't give it any meaning it's not due i guess mm -hmm. that you just kind of like see it for what it is and can yeah accept that. yeah i know i think isn't it funny how like i think our insecurities they they actually affect us way more than we realize <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah affect our choices and yeah yeah, absolutely. The way we it's react like, to things and yeah it's, it's like a perceived vulnerability that it's not just that it's vulnerable it's that the vulnerability makes us build all these walls and do all these things to exactly stop it like make sure we're not exposed yeah i know i i completely agree like i uh i think i just got you know this new job in marketing and um like getting to like code a little bit and for me it's just so it's just such a wonderful thing in my life right now because i'm like I don't feel insecure about what I'm doing. Like I feel very confident in what I'm doing. And it's been a really long time that I'm like, yeah, this is like, I don't care if you come and see what I'm working on because I'm really proud of this. And <laughs> I don't know, it's like such a gift to me at this time in my life. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's doing these interviews, it's a little like a tricky part of the job is I'm trying to work all these into like a narrative that relates to certain themes. And so I always find myself thinking like, okay, what's the beat on this person? You yeah. Know, what's like, what's their category? <laughs> which is producer. <laughs> which I hate doing. Um, but you have to. Yeah, you do. But also like I, I have to keep myself from assuming I know too quickly. Cause like yeah. even I feel like with you, I felt like, you know, Laura might really hit on themes of like mind and body. She had this condition that, you know, is kind of a physical issue, but a mm -hmm. mental issue as well. But I feel like maybe even more than that, like I see a real theme of like self-knowledge and self-acceptance with totally. your story where yeah. it's amazing that you've been able to like realize those things about yourself, about insecurities and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, I'm really happy for you being where you're at oh, in thanks. your job and being confident in what you're doing. And more than that, just like able to, to be yourself and to be open because I think it's mm -hmm. like ironic we shoot ourselves in the foot when we're obsessed with being a certain way we actually yeah I think like stop ourselves from being that way like if you think you're a really high performer and you must be seen that way like you might 
not accept lessons that would help you be more yeah. how you want to be. Totally. Yeah. I, I think for it's been a gift to explore creativity and be like, that's valuable. Like, I didn't think that was valuable part of me, but it's like, that's really valuable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and seeing that actually adds to your performance, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. when you add that in. But I, one thing I keep saying to myself over and over while I'm at work, because it is a new thing, is that people who are ashamed blame and people who are anxious, people please. And so whenever I'm like slipping into one of the other, mm. I'm like, all right, Laura. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> you don't need either of these things, you know, just be honest and authentic for where you're at. But anyway, <laughs> I know you've, you've talked Side about note. that, like, uh, the struggle of being kind of a pleaser. Yeah. And yeah. I think like I've dealt with that yeah. too, but, um, it's that's lovely, interesting that you tie it. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that, you know, at the very beginning of this interview, we talked about how like your, your sensitivities and what you see in the world, is relates maybe to those early pains. Do you think that relates to the early pains of like needing to be to be seen or approved of in a certain way? Can you explain that a little? Do you think do you think the the struggle with being a please I don't know if you feel you struggle with this. Oh no, now. I totally do. Yeah. <laughs> I know you <laughs> right have, on, man. But so you yeah. struggle with it now. Do you think the struggle with being a pleaser relates to those pains from early childhood? Yeah, absolutely. What I'm I actually like really been thinking about lately, especially in this political climate. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really trying to be careful of, I have many friends on every spectrum and family. And I'm really trying to think through like, how do I stay true to what I believe and be authentic to that? and speak my truth in a, as loving and gentle way as I can from not a self-righteous way, which yeah. is hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And how do I stay in relationship and love these people who, you know, I just think have major blind spots. And I think it's hard, especially if you're a people pleaser and you hate conflict, <laughs> it's yeah. really hard. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm working on like, you know, just accepting where people are at, speaking up when I feel like it is the right thing to do. But I don't know, not like, I don't want to be the type of person that shuns other people yeah. just because of where they are in their journey. Yeah. And it's, because uh, I feel like that has been done to me. Yeah. You know, I think everybody's experienced that a little bit from other people. To like discredit someone, like what you were talking about, yeah. kind of acknowledging that everyone you know, fundamentally wants to be loved, kind of like taking someone out of that. Like you don't get to be in the, in yeah. the box of like, I understand yeah. that about you. Exactly. I, I, I think everybody has a right to be at a table. Mm -hmm. And um, like I use like my kitchen table as an example, but like I want everyone to feel welcome there. I want, but I want to be honest and yeah, still try and figure that out. Uh, it can, that's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Especially, I mean, it, that's a great ideal, but there are people you wouldn't have at your kitchen table. Exactly. And, and some, I think that you have to have boundaries and yeah. like, okay, you've crossed a line. Mm -hmm. you, you can't be in my, at my table. You can be like, I'll meet you outside. Yeah. But then, yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. I think especially in the climate now, there's the tendency to, to narrow those goldposts mm -hmm. and make those boundaries like maybe too strong. Like you could err either way. You could be, yeah. you could say, you know, if you, <laughs> if you voted for this person, I will never talk to you. Yeah. And say that about hundreds of millions of people uh, or you right. could say you know I'll talk to anyone which will put you make you uncomfortable it's like yeah. you, you you are in a certain place and it's like I feel like you can go wrong either way you can be too just dogmatic of like this is exactly where I am I'm right and like yeah. alienate people or you yeah. can like sacrifice yourself with which is just as painful like to to not assert yourself mm -hmm. when you know there's someone who disagrees with you or if you feel like you have to placate someone, which I'm sure like, maybe that's the harder issue for you. You felt that way before. Yeah. I, well, I don't know about play. I think, I think I just, I want to be compassionate because I, I think that I have changed a lot in my views on things and mm -hmm. I've, I've grown a lot as a person and I would, I would cringe 
if I were to sit down with like my 16 year old self, who was like, I'm so great, you know? I would too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think, you know, I just want to be compassionate and I think that somebody's got to be gentle and somebody's got to speak their truth <laughs> to these, to these people who are just a little more immature in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to do it. I don't know. No, I, yeah, I agree with you. Like it, finding that balance between speaking your truth and yeah. having that compassion for them. And also like, I think the challenge that I find maybe you do too is also, you know, acknowledging that you, you probably have things to learn from people that yeah. like, it's, it's very easy to just be like, well, uh, let's start from assumption number one. I'm right. And, uh, <laughs> let's figure out how to be compassionate, but also like say the truth, my truth, which yeah. is the truth. But then, you know, sometimes I forget to acknowledge, like, wait, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah, totally. I know. Yeah. <laughs> ah. I, I found that with, um, like, religion for a while, for example. Like, I think I went through a phase, not as extreme as, like, some people I know, but I went through a phase where I was like, oh, like, religious people are dumb. Like, I saw, <laughs> I saw the, the rough edge of maybe yeah. Christianity that you've described of, like, mm-hmm. I, that's how I saw all of it, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just religion. And I think it's so easy to like write off a group based yeah. on those rough edges to yeah. whether it's, you know, political, religious or anything else to, to think about a whole as like the edges that you see that you're opposed to. And it's like, it seems like a lot of stuff encourages us to do that now with like social media. Totally, with, polarizing. Yeah, and if you like look up stuff on, on YouTube, you'll, you'll see like maybe mm-hmm. the worst of, of some group. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge for open dialogue. Mm-hmm. I saw an interview. <laughs> I'm just really laughing because I'm about to quote Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> but David Letterman was interviewing him on his Netflix show. And uh, Jay-Z was talking about his affair and how he, he just, I thought this was just so poignant. He said, uh, my wife realized that I'm not, I am not the sum of my worst, you know, actions. Mm. And I, I think if we can just remember that about other people and because I think we, we're so desperate for other people to realize that about us. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah like seeing, seeing uh, not the worst actions or the best actions if you idealize someone. Yes. Like we like to focus on aspects and traits yeah. and not see the whole like. It's like that, that seems to like transcend everything. That seems to transcend mm-hmm. like the roles we place people in saying mm-hmm. like, you know, you're a girl, so you need to be this way or, mm-hmm. you know, this is your relationship to me. So I'm going to like, look at you in this light. Yeah. Um, like blind spots is a good analogy, I think. Yeah. It, it's so funny. I, so Brian and I have been married for eight years and, um, it is fascinating. I feel like marriage is such a good example of like, just how we are with like any kind of relationship. And I feel like I'm still like learning things about him where I'm like, oh, I had put you in this box, but you were actually like this and for this time in your life. And then it like changes. Yeah. So it's like people are so much more fluid and than we give them credit. (laughs) And the marriage like forces that uh, challenge because you, it's easy to, if you meet someone once to just see them in the way you want to and right. you learn more and more about them and you have yeah. to, you, you're like forced to see the truth yeah. more and more slowly and surely. <laughs> so, and about yourself, you're like, oh, I, I'm that bad. Oh, yikes. <laughs> I can be that mean? Wow. <laughs> Did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Seeing reality, like yeah. seeing each other, you know, mm-hmm. seeing each other as you really are, mm-hmm. seeing yourself as you really are. Yeah, and the reflection of yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think of it that way? Like the relationship as like a mirror in some ways? Totally. Yeah. I think sometimes we seek out people for like unconsciously yeah. for a certain reason. And we avoid some people for a certain reason. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with for, you, sure. for sure. It mm-hmm. seems as if a lot of like what we do is some mix of conscious and unconscious mm-hmm. choice. And we, we only see the conscious part of it, much yes. like we only see the part of someone we want to see. We only see the part of ourselves we want to see, which is <laughs> the conscious, uh, maybe like good reasons we're doing yeah. whatever we're doing. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. We're like, there's so much going on that we just don't even know. <laughs> I've looked at things I've done and like, 
I've noticed uh, becoming more aware of a, a bigger portion of the pie of my motivations for doing things. Mm -hmm. And as I become aware of the reasons I hid from myself, I'm like, that's evil. Like, mm. <laughs> like there's like an evil side to me. Yeah. It's, it's scary. It's like, no wonder why people don't always do it. Mm -hmm. Look at, I don't know, look at the entirety. How do you, how do you deal with that when you realize there's like evil? <laughs> no, I'm just, cause I yeah, like think yeah. about that for me too. I try to not harp on it and to be <laughs> compassionate. Cause I think like, yeah. I really think there's both sides to everything. I think there's yeah. both in everything, in every mm -hmm. action. I think there is selfishness and compassion. And like, we all, we're all like seeking to be happy. Yeah. And we're compassionate in that sense of we want to alleviate our own suffering compassionately. Yeah. It's just that we're like, confused and don't always know what that means mm -hmm. and are ignorant of you know our own motivations for things which is like i guess where the the dark side totally. comes in yeah it's really interesting uh because i th I, I think i worked through that through like prayer and stuff so it, it's cool like you worked through that too but you just do it differently yeah <laughs> through meditation i guess yeah but yeah do you have specific prayers that you'll you'll say for that uh, purpose or just, oh, that's interesting. it's just like a byproduct. Well, I actually really do enjoy in our church, it's called Anglican. Um, and so we do like, it's similar to Catholicism and there are certain prayers that you read together every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I, some of those like, yeah, there it's like something stands out in it every different time. I feel like it, it gets richer and more deeper and it's cool to imagine like, People have been saying this same prayer for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. And and, and it just reminds you, like, people. <laughs> it just reminds you, like, people don't really change. Like, I mean, like, like I think people get all stressed out about, like, oh, what's happening? I'm like, people have been the same for hundreds of years. They've said the same prayer. They've had the same kind of struggles over and over and over. There are recurring and, patterns. Yeah. Like in new forms. Yeah, and I think you can just you feel a, little, a lot less alone in that way. Right. So. And maybe some more like understanding of yourself that, you know, anything you're dealing with or any, any part of yourself that you're ashamed of, or like yeah. if you look at something you've done that, and you, you see it as bad, you know, someone's been there or yeah. somewhere similar to there. Right. That you're just within this larger fabric of humanity. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that is very comforting. <laughs> One thing I was curious about is, um, and like not in a um, negative way at all, I think it's interesting and like maybe positive of mm -hmm. like when I asked if I wrote a chapter on you uh, for, oh, yeah. for my book and you were like, you know, I'd rather not read it. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, is that out of um, some feeling that it's it's healthier for you not to get too like lost in your content? Oh, uh, yeah. Or totally. you want to like talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that... So I'm off of like social media totally and I love it and it's very healthy for me. I think it's really unhealthy for me to get concerned about other people's perception of me mm. because I think it's natural. Like I have perceptions of you that are just like pieces of your story and of who you are. And that doesn't mean just because that's my perception of you doesn't mean like that's all of you. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think for me, if that helps other people, I'm so happy to share my story, but I don't want to know what they think. <laughs> like, like, don't go on Survivor. Yeah, I know. I After like talking with you and, and I'm like, that would be the worst thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> no way. No, I, yeah. I don't think I'm meant to be a celebrity. Cool with that. I don't think anyone is. No. And not that Survivor's are celebrities at all, no. but I don't, think it, I don't think we're designed for that. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe it can be like growing in a very painful way of like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're looking at one part of yourself and you're forced to look at the parts you were blind to before, that yeah. painfully could be helpful, totally. but it could also be like a bit much. It's going to be devastating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I, I would never want that. Yeah. It's crazy because it's like, uh, we're not meant to like grow too fast. Like we just think growth mm -hmm. is a good thing and we think, you know, limiting beliefs are a bad thing mm -hmm. and progress is good and failure <laughs> is bad, but it's almost like these things keep us in a balance where we're going at the pace we can handle. Totally. I, I completely agree with that. You can't, if you, yeah. if you got offered full growth, be your ultimate self right now, like maybe you couldn't handle that. I don't oh, think I could. I don't think so. That would be an interesting movie. Like know yourself <laughs> completely. It would be interesting like if there were a drug that could just like make you fully self-aware. Yeah. Fully everything. I think like 
we imagine maybe we imagine like oh that would be fine you know i'm pretty self-aware as it is but i feel like that would be that would rock people's world more than they know totally rock my world yeah well because like you said like we know there's like those pieces of us that are like plain all evil and yeah I don't want to see that. Yeah. I, don't, I could not handle that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying my best to be self-accepting. I don't know if I'm not. <laughs> I'm there yet. I think I, well, I personally think only Jesus can see all of us mm. and, and totally accept and love it. I don't think we can do that for other people. I don't think we can do that mm. for ourselves. So thank God we can't see everything. We disagree again. I think, oh, really? I think it's possible. I think it's like hardly ever done, but I, I do uh-huh. think it's possible. I think like when people... Uh, meditate over a very long period of time and make uh-huh. significant progress and become what they call enlightened in those very uh-huh. rare cases. Like, I do think that's possible. I think it's happened in very few cases. But, like, when uh, I'm, I'm sounding like I am a Buddhist with referencing Buddhism so much, but when, when uh, the yeah. Buddha like, talked about enlightenment, he said, like, I am, he called himself like a Buddha, not the, the Buddha. Mm. He's like, I am one. There are like thousands before me, there will be thousands after me. Interesting. And I imagine. Jesus was someone like this as well. Just yeah. like, um, I think it's you're you're right in the sense that like, point nine ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people are never gonna mm-hmm. have that happen. But yeah, I, I think it's possible. Oh man, okay. So here's my thing, I and this is like the uh, competitive side to me. Yeah. If I know it's po- if I think it's yeah. possible, yeah. I want to get there. So like, yes. how do you feel? Yeah. That's like, that's like a lot of what I like struggle with is like, I, I'm competitive too. And I'm not I, enlightened. No, really. That's like, yeah. in, that's a huge problem. I think in, in uh, yeah. spirituality is people developing yeah. spiritual egos. They like develop an ego around not having an ego. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Which is scary too. Cause like I, it's all about like getting through self delusion mm-hmm. and it's like, how can you do that? Like mm-hmm. your brain pulls all the strings. Right. And so. I, I struggle with like, how can I trust myself doing this work? How can yeah. I trust that I think I'm, you know, not being egotistical about like trying to progress in meditation yeah. and not thinking of myself as like better than anyone. But how do I know? How do I really know? That's why I have issues. Like some of my friends, especially ones who take the Bible very, very literally and we debate about it or whatever. Like there is a small part of me. It's like, what if I'm wrong? And that's like terrifying. Yeah. And, and especially with someone that you probably vehemently disagree with. with yeah. That. Like <laughs> you don't want to even consider that. Yeah. I'm like, I hope you're not right. Cause that would be awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like but, you can maybe, if someone differs a little from you, you could be like, I may be right. But yeah. if, if someone like fundamentally big yeah. disagreement, you can't even consider it. And <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's crazy how like all these themes tie together. I'll, yeah. I'll try and figure some way, some way out to write it and have it be coherent, but it's like, I'm grateful you're able to track with me. I appreciate that about you. Sometimes I feel like... You mean like, like follow what you're saying or... Yeah. Like I think we, we like think about the same thing. Yeah. And so it's like, ah, oh, somebody else thinks about this. Cool. It's like when you get into these abstract conversations, it's <laughs> exactly. like, I feel like it's both like a very uh, abstract, non-tangible sense. <laughs> yeah. Again, going back to like Survivor, it, like I... I can't imagine where like all these things happen, but then mm-hmm. they go in and they create a storyline so that it's interesting and yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I'll make sure I didn't leave anything out. I had a few okay. things scribbled down, go but for it. I think I got to everything. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening. You heard Laura talk us through an intense and ever-evolving journey of self-awareness that I found impressive and thought-provoking. And it involved Laura taking on many different perspectives on herself, a willingness, as you definitely heard, to entertain other perspectives, to keep an open mind, which especially in this era of polarization that Laura referred to is an amazing quality. So I heard on a podcast called Hidden Brain the other day that gratitude is wasted on Thanksgiving in the sense that you should be grateful every day, really. Gratitude is one of the most important emotions to cultivate. There's robust, reproduced, very thorough, and very dramatic research showing that gratitude has a direct effect on our emotional ecosystem, on our sense of well-being. 
So this Thanksgiving and in general, I hope that you are cultivating as much gratitude as you can find while still practically addressing what you have to address and seeing reality clearly. If polarization or the current climate or the pandemic are making it harder to tap into that gratitude, it's quite understandable. I think we're all dealing with some of that these days. It's also pretty understandable to be worried about how this winter is going to amplify COVID, potentially impact COVID. A lot of fears around that. On that front, though, one thing you can be grateful for is that per the CDC in September, the survival rates for COVID are if you're 0 to 19 years old, 99.997%. If you're 20 to 49, 99.98%. If you're 50 to 69, 99.5%. If you're over 70, 70 or older, 94.6%. So to be crystal clear, I'm all for taking precautions, being safe, but also leading with love rather than fear in everyday life. And valuing safety, but not to such an extent that our goal is to be perfectly safe and eliminate all risk of anything bad happening in life. The truth is that the risk is always there, constantly. There's nothing we can do about that risk. It hits people every year. In fact, it hit people in 2018 more than in 2020. And it's just a part of life. Life entails risk. Life cannot exist without its corollary of death. We live in a world based on duality. If there's going to be life, there has to be death. We try to ignore the reality of death. We don't like to talk about it. We start to get a little squeamish when it comes up. But all it really is, is the yang to life's yin. So I'm all for living a safe life, also living a free and adventurous life and a life where within what we have in our control, we certainly strive for longevity and strive against death, but not a life where we actually make our life about avoiding death. As soon as we make our life about avoiding death, we're really avoiding life. And I don't want you to think I'm on some high hill talking down at you to let go of fear. I have dealt with a ton of fear I certainly have felt anxiety in 2020 and had struggles. So I hope you appreciated some of what I had to offer here, or at the very least that it could be thought-provoking and not a complete waste of your time. And I am sure that the interview we had today was not a waste of your time. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, Laura just got started with her own podcast in which she goes by Laura Boach. It's called Invisible Lions. It is in all the podcast places. You should definitely check it out. Much, much gratitude today for the opportunity to share these stories with you and to communicate with you in this way. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. Have a great week.